people can change their trajectory if there's a path that they can see or that they can envision. That's why I do it. I believe in that. Welcome to our podcast, Teaching and Leading with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. I am Dr. Amy Viaclia, Director of Educator Preparation. And I am Dr. Joy Patterson, Chief Diversity Officer. Our podcast addresses issues through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion, along with solutions for us to grow as educators. So join us on our journey to become better teachers and leaders. So let's get into it. Hello, Dr. Joy. Hello, Dr. Amy. How are you? I am doing well, and this is a conversation that is really exciting to me Mm -hmm. because I think that coaching and mentoring is the biggest part of education, retention of both students, faculty members, future teachers, hopefully stay in the classroom a lot longer with coaching and mentoring. And the person we're talking to today, it really has those credentials. Yeah, it resonates with me because just thinking back to where I was, to where I am, and it gives that message of hope. And that's what we're all here for. So it's not just about where we are in our beginnings, but what we aspire to be and that path to getting there. And to me, uh, this is a story of triumph, you know, from very small beginnings to a point to where you can give back. So I love this about our guests. Who have been the most powerful mentoring figures to you? You know, early on, I would say as a child, it was television figures. I don't know if I necessarily saw those figures in my everyday life, any particular person that I aspire to be like, or there was, I considered a role model. I would say I found my role models on television. And even though they were pretend as children, you don't look at it as pretend. You look at it as something that you can maybe aspire to be. So those things were important to me. Looking at the television show, the sitcom Julia, which was the first leading role of a Black actress who was a nurse, you know, that inspired me to want to become a nurse. Uh, I love Dr. Weldy, (laughs) you know, so these are shows that were very, very meaningful to me. So it just goes to show that we can find inspiration in a lot of different places. I agree. It's, I've been very much inspired by people who are 10 years further down the pathway in the career path that I have. And sometimes I don't know that that is my trajectory until I meet and talk to people who are in that space. I'm like, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. I want to be that. How did you get there? Yeah. So I'm it was always the next step. What's next? What's next? What's next? I don't know if I always had like some individuals have like that 20 year vision, 30 year vision. You know, where do you want to be? 
you know, for me, I think it was in smaller chunks, maybe four or five years at a time, but it was always dreaming. It was always five years at a time, five years at a time. So I never stopped dreaming. I never stopped believing, but it was always short. And it was always something I thought that was achievable in small chunks. Well, I'm really glad you said achievable because the person we're talking to today is all about achieving what might have been a dream that people would have doubted. So I'm excited to introduce Governor State University's trustee chair, Angela Sebastian, who is the president of Sebastian Strategies, a business advisory and leadership coaching firm emphasizing execution. She has expertise in leadership, strategy, execution, finance, organizational design, governance, and succession planning. Angie is the former CEO of Levenfeld Pearlstein LLC, a Chicago-based law firm where she worked for more than 20 years. When she retired from her position as CEO, Levenfeld Pearlstein honored her service by initiating a scholarship fund at Governor State University. But let's back up. Angie grew up in the South suburbs and earned a BS degree in accounting from GSU as a non-traditional student at the age of 30. She went on to become a CPA, earn an MBA, and recently became an associate certified coach through the International Coaching Federation. Angie is a testament to the power of education to transform lives, as well as an exemplar of a commitment to lifelong learning. She is passionate about supporting GSU students who endeavor to change the course of their lives through education and is proud to serve the university that has changed hers. Angie is a member of the Illinois CPA Society and International Coaching Federation, and her coaching certification is now Professional Certified Coach. And the scholarship in her honor is Finish What You Started. Wow. I am so excited to talk to you today, Chair Sebastian. Angie, if we may. Please. Yes. It's a pleasure having you. Uh, before you came on, we were kind of talking about humble beginnings and things that inspired us, that catapulted us to that next level. So you have an amazing story, Angie. Um, and I think it will resonate with so many people uh, for at different stages in their life, because this is a journey for you. Uh, I want to first start up with, you know, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I grew up in Inglewood and the good, bad and ugly, many of that has stuck with me. And it's a lot of it has shaped who I am. And I know you grew up on the south side of the south suburbs of Chicago. Let's talk about your early beginnings. Tell us your story about growing up and kind of what what shaped you. That's what Amy and I were talking about earlier. What are some of the things growing up that shaped you? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to your program. Um, I appreciate your highlighting some of the themes that hopefully I can bring some story to, my personal story to. 
So I did grow up in the South suburbs. I was born in Chicago Heights. Um, I grew up in the neighborhoods of Harvey and Markham. And I switched schools almost every year while I was growing up. So I often had to adapt, you know, to new situations and not always the most friendly places. Um, what influenced me was just, you know, the neighborhoods, right? The, the kids hanging out and the, I have very close um, cousins. There were a lot of us. And so they were kind of my support structure, but it was, it was a little bit of a free for all, if you will, um, in the seventies, you know, come home when the streetlights are on that kind of thing. I will also say that a real prevalent influence for me was a lack of money always. And so never having enough money to do anything. So you just kind of make do. One influence, and I often get asked a lot, did you watch this show? Did you catch this show? I don't watch television. And the reason is we, our TV broke when I was young. And for years, we didn't have a TV. And so we would go to the library or we would play games or we would do something else. And back then I thought, you know, how poor are we? We don't even have a TV. And now I'm like, what a gift that I don't have to suck away so much time watching those shows. So it was, it was an influence. I, I think though the neighborhoods and the communities, the theme of money, economic disadvantage was always prevalent. And those were pretty big influences on me. Well, I want to ask about part of your bio says you were a non-traditional student earning your college degree a little bit later. What are some things, some of the people who helped catapult you to go into college? What motivated you? Hmm. I think what motivated me was I wanted to get out. I didn't want to have my future be like my past. I didn't really have um, any mentors or role models to look up to, I, other than people who cared deeply about me and who believed in me and we believed in hmm, our, the power of us, right? But I also wanted to make a change. I was very motivated to not be like that, not live like that. And so I became a good observer, a very astute observer. And I think Changing schools so many times at a young age, I picked up some pretty good observation skills and I paid attention to, you know, people who had things that I wanted or people who exemplified things I wanted to be like. And the, what they had in common is they all went to college, right? It was just natural for them. It wasn't, it wasn't weird. It wasn't novel. It was just what you do. And, but nobody in my sphere did that. So I was motivated to change. And I've always been motivated to change. So I want to talk about where some of that motivation comes from before we get more into it, you know, talking beyond your bio. You gave tribute. And you know, first, I was going to say in spite of things that you've gone through, but it wasn't really in spite because you really gave tribute to how being poor was not an obstacle for you and how the fact like you didn't have television turned out to be a blessing because we're challenged with that now. So many kids are in front of video games and mm -hmm. television and they're not reading. 
you know, they're not thirsty for knowledge. And so that became a benefit for you. And, you know, so many times when I look back at my past and I say, oh, I was poor and I didn't necessarily know I was poor at the time. You know, when I explained it to someone, oh, I had powdered milk at sometimes, you know, I had government <laughs> cheese and, you know, I had sugar bread. If anybody knows what sugar bread is, it's literally taking a piece of white bread, putting sugar on it and then, you know, shaking the excess off, you know, <laughs> and there's dessert. But those weren't really obstacles to you. And when I think about it, I mean, you're really an you are really an at risk student, and so many of our students here at Governor State University were considered at risk students. And when you look at that in the parallel of your bio, I want to talk about how do you how did you get where, what do you think you got from this at risk student who didn't see a lot of role models to go to college, and how you were able to transform. Um, well, first of all, I never eat government cheese anymore. <laughs> and, I never, and I never, I never have dessert with, you know, white bread and butter and sugar on anymore either. You know, that was my power came from wanting to change. Right. And believing that I could. And, and also now on the other side of it, back then, of course, I probably felt like those were obstacles. Right. But now I recognize they're a superpower for me because I'm willing to take more risks than many leaders who I know and work with because I already know how to be poor. I already know how to do that. I don't, if I have to start over, if I happen to lose this position, this, this job, this gig, this whatever, so what? I mean, the worst that's going to happen, I, I kind of, I've already been through the worst that's going to happen. I can do that. And I, I don't have to clip coupons anymore, but I can. I know how to, right? I, my, at some point, it shifted from now I have more time than I had money. But in the early days, I definitely, I didn't have money for anything, right? I have more money now, later. And also, I don't, I don't need as much. That's, that's another thing that I gained from that period in my life and developing like that. I just, I don't, I don't have this need to, for excess. It's like enough, this is enough. And, and, and I want to try something new now. I don't want to have this or that or the other thing. So I'm, I would say the other thing, because I've been so obsessed with money and lack thereof, I'm really good at managing money. Very good. I, I mean, that's how I was very successful in my career. I made my law firm a lot of money. <laughs> I, know, I know the financial disciplines necessary to increase a profit margin, just like I know the disciplines necessary to maintain you know, a strong asset base in my own net worth. I, I use that same discipline. So I think coming from a place of scarcity and recognizing that I know how to navigate that if I need to gives me a lot of strength as a professional and just as a rounded adult. Even when I travel, which is one of my passions, I don't travel like the next person, right? I, I take the um, trains and the subways wherever I go, and I, I don't stay in the posh hotels. I don't feel comfortable there anyway, first of all. But secondly, it costs five times as much 
is the way I travel. A lot of people ask, how do you get to travel so much? Isn't it expensive? Yeah, the most expensive thing is the airfare, right? But once you get around that, you can nav navigate it very differently. So I just, I just have this way of navigating that is a strength in the business world and in my professional life and in my personal life now. And that navigation came from how I had to navigate from a very early age. I want to speak to our students at Governor State University. We have over 40% of our students who are first-generation college students. And that in itself, when we think about recruitment and retention, that can be such a challenge to, like, who do you talk to when you have an issue with a, a course or a scheduling fiasco or whatever other types of resources you need on campus if you don't have someone who's been through it, an older sibling, an, a parent. So what is your hope for Governor State University students who are walking that pathway? Yeah, well, who do you talk? That's two different questions. Who do, who do you talk to and what is my hope? Who do you talk to? Whoever you can. <laughs> Whoever you can. People you work with. People at the university, of course, there, there are people designated specifically to, to help guide students. But I know it's intimidating. But that's the thing. You, you kind of have to get through that intimidation factor across the board, everywhere, in the classroom, in the, in the world, and just recognize, I am new at this. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to just ask a lot of questions until I figure it out, and somebody will be able to help me. And also, it's okay to make a few missteps and learn from them. So that's, that's how I did it. I just asked where, or, and paid attention wherever I needed to, and I refused to be ignored. So I just had a strength about my determination that, you know, it just carried me. So my hope for the students is that they will find a way to get the answers that they need and the support that they need. And also that the people they work with at the university, their professors, their administrators, their co-students, many of whom are adults, can share their experiences so the students don't feel so alone. You're not the only one doing this. You can do this. It is hard. Just kind of acknowledging, yes, it is hard. Yes, it's very hard. And you can do it, right? There's a way to do it that might be different than the way you set out, but that doesn't mean you have to stop if, if it's not working that way. It means you find another way. Keep your eye on the prize, you know, and find the support that you need. And so that's my, my hope for the students and my hope for the university is that we recognize that they're not always going to come. So we have to reach out, right? They don't know sometimes to ask. They don't know who, what to ask for or who to ask. And so even if we have these services, that's great for the people who know. But some people don't even know that those services are for them. And so the reach out is really, really critical, I think, on behalf of the university. 
Yeah, whenever you said reach out, that just really <laughs> charges me because there are so many services. I was just in a meeting a few minutes ago about, <laughs> wow, I, I didn't know about some of these services that we had in place about the reach out. And I think that's a really valuable point is not only do students know that they exist, but faculty and staff know uh-huh. they, they exist because if students are asking questions and they're asking whoever they see these questions and the answer is, I don't know, it can also be followed up with, I don't know, but I know someone who does. Uh-huh. Or I know where you can find that service. So I, I think that's a really powerful point is that reach out both on the university side and the student side. And if people know that services exist, they can get connected. Right. And it, it's not uncommon, right, in any large organization or institution for this part not knowing what this part's doing. But if everyone is very clear on what we're doing as a whole, we recognize that we're giving students an opportunity to change their lives, which is a very different vision than I'm educating someone, right? Which is kind of in this lane. But if you're, if the vision of the institution is to change lives, right? Then it's more of a wider, and what else besides educating individuals, you know, what else needs to happen or need do, should I know about that's going to help change lives according to the big vision. And I think the communication strategy of any organization or institution is key to kind of closing some of those gaps. Yeah, I think I think that you're right. Both of you are right. And I'm seeing some areas in myself where hmm, here's something I can impact. I can work on some of that. So I'm listening and I'm mm-hmm. seeing what does that mean for joy and how can I have an impact on the university that makes that easier for us because Amy and I were talking earlier about mental health Mm -hmm. and which we have to pay attention to the affect and we have to pay attention to how people are feeling and their readiness to learn before they can learn. So all of those other things, right? And we were just talking about if someone told us they were hungry, we would know what to do right away. And we could get them some some nourishment, you know, we could go into action. But if someone is describing how they feel to us, what do we do with that? And a lot of times we just sit there and we listen and we move on when there's actually something there to be done. So I think I get a picture in my mind that you're a very tenacious student, Angie. I may be wrong, but it sounds like you're a very tenacious. I'm a very tenacious person in everything, (laughs) including being a student. (laughs) And, you know, many students don't necessarily know how to advocate for themselves, especially, you know, first generation students, you know, you don't go home and have these conversations with your parents, because sometimes that could be very awkward and them not understanding. They think it's this new person that you're becoming and there may not be that understanding. I know it was that way for me. And, you know, I took longer in school than I needed to because I didn't ask enough questions. You know, I read the catalog, but didn't go to the advisors, things like that. So both you and I, we we have a lot in common here. We're both alums from GSU. I got my graduate degree from GSU. We won't talk about how long ago. How has GSU shaped your skills 
and your values. What is it that you love about GSU? Well, I love a lot of things about GSU and that's why I'm still involved. How has it shaped my values? I think it's my experience at GSU has opened my, my lens to pathways that I hadn't previously considered. So my only pathway was fighting. My only pathway was climbing. My only pathway was this is going to happen no matter what, because I am not going back to where I came from. But being exposed to different people with different experiences, and I had my first travel abroad experience while I was a student, undergraduate student at GSU. It was the beginning of kind of a lifelong journey in learning that I, I find myself on even now, right? And hopefully always, hopefully always. Now that I've retired from my position, I have more time and I'm just learning all this stuff that I never really picked up and I feel like it's missing. I feel like I'm winding my way through this answer, but I'm not sure if I, I touched on what you actually asked. <laughs> and and I, I do think it's yeah. important, you know, you mentioned your study abroad and many of our mm -hmm. students have that experience. I think when you have those experiences, they really change your life. It, you really yeah. see things through a different lens and being in a mid-sized university with small class sizes mm -hmm. is, I mean, you just get to meet so many people, you know, more intimately, you're meeting your the faculty and they get to know you. I mean, it's a great, it was a great experience for me, you know, cause I can look back and I can t tell you who my professors were and some of my experiences and how they stick with me today. So it, I know it was very meaningful uh, for me. So it, it's shaped a lot of my skills and my values and obviously yours, because as you said, you're still here mm -hmm. and you're giving back. And which, which I want to talk to you about. So maybe we can segue there and come back around. Cause I do. Can I, can I jump in on something yes. that you said about first generation students and not yes, being able please. to, not being able to talk at home about it. I think it's not only not having someone to who's navigated this to kind of guide you or mentor you or empathize with you, if nothing else, it's that for many, my experience was didn't understand it. Like, why are you even going to college? Uh, you type so fast, you could make a lot of money as a secretary right out of high school, which I did. I typed like 95 words a minute, um, which back in the day, that was a lot, right? And it just didn't, it didn't compute. It's like, I don't understand. You're not, why are you even, then now you're going to tell me it's hard? Just quit, go out and make more money. Like, it's, it's not only that they don't have the experience to be able to guide you, they, they may not even necessarily support or understand the point of it. And it's expensive. And so it's really hard to reframe the cost as an investment in your future earning potential, which it is. There is a difference between a cost and an investment. And you don't have to be a CPA to know that difference, right? And so really navigating that, I just, there's a lot of challenge around the, the dynamic of breaking out, if you will. Right. Now, I know some first generation 
students, the families behind it 100%. And that's a different kind of pressure, right? It's uh-huh. like, you must do this and you must. You must represent all. us. Yeah. And yes, and you have to do the best you can. And so if you're stumbling a little bit, like that's a lot of pressure. You can't go back and say, I'm not doing well, or I don't think I'm doing well, or I don't know if I'm doing well. There's just so much. Home is a place to for me and for, I think for many first-generation students to just kind of let go a little bit and be supported and hopefully be loved, right? But it's definitely not a place where you can share your experience that you're having in navigating right. this educational path. And you talked about not only were you first-gen, but you were also a non-traditional student. So think about students that are in that category that are married. So it's one thing to have that where your parents don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's another dynamic when you have that when your spouse doesn't understand. And you can't complain to your spouse, you know, I'm tired or this mm-hmm. is hard or, you know, I'm working. The first thing they want to say is, well, then quit school. Right. You know, right. well, why are you doing that? Or kids. They don't or, understand. Or yeah. yeah. And yes, I'm, glad, I'm glad you loop back around to that, Angie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can be really isolating. Mm-hmm. Uh, very you know, lonely. It's very, very lonely. lonely. It's very lonely. And I, that's, that's part of it. Yeah, I went through that getting receiving my doctorate degree, even though I was first gen and undergraduate, I didn't go through that as much. My mother always felt like you're going to college, you're going to college, even though she didn't understand all the dynamics of it. I didn't know any difference other than to go to college. So I ended up at a community college because I didn't prepare financially to go to college and didn't know how to navigate. And Mm -hmm. so I did my first two years at a community college, but it wasn't until where I got my doctorate degree. Well, there was a whole total disconnect of why are you doing this and why are you putting yourself through this and why are you putting your family through this? Right. There's a lot of guilt. Yes. A lot of navigate. Yeah. What makes Governor State University different from all other institutions? I mean, you both, I was not an alum, but you both can speak to this. What is it about Governor State University? What's our, what's our jewel? That's such a good question. Could be a whole marketing campaign, right? What is our jewel to you? But so I have different experiences with different colleges. I worked at two colleges before I went into legal. I worked at a big public public college in Texas and a private college in Texas. I attended a private college for two years. I attended three different junior colleges before I wound up at GSU to complete my undergraduate degree. And since then, I've been at a completely online university for my MBA. And I went to a prestigious institution, Georgetown University, for my coaching program. How I got in there, I have no idea, right? But I did. And so I think what distinguishes Governor State, in my experience, and also in my capacity now as a trustee, is that it meets people where they are. It's not, here's our program, you need to find your way and fit in our mold and good luck, right? Here's the map, good luck. Governor State has always been a place where we just say, all right, 
tell us where you've been and tell us where you want to go and let's try to figure out a way to get there. And that's true for the first generation students. It's true. It used to be just an upper level program where you finish your school. That's why my scholarship is entitled Finish What You Started. I still want to attract those students to Governor State. And those are the majority of the students we now serve, right? That's what I would offer and why I think it's so special. It's just, it meets people where they are. And the other thing I would say, because I've moved around so much, you know, moved around when I was younger, moved around as an adult, it is, it does feel like home to me. It's always been there. It's one place that remains like solid or steady, something that I can count on. It's the gem part, the jewel part to me. Joy, what about you? Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. I mean, I just felt very comfortable here when I was at Governor State University. Mm-hmm. I genuinely felt like people were trying to help me. And when you were saying that, I was thinking of advising. I always describe advising as the best part of my job. I've never been an official advisor, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you ask me what's the best part of any job that I've ever had as an educator, I will always say advising. And that is because I get, so, I get more out of advising than the person that I'm talking to when you can help them figure out that path, right? And there's that aha moment. And, you know, if this doesn't work, let's create another path. You got to close this door, let's open another door. And so that's something that I've always tried to do and give back to Governor State University is to be a good advisor. Even if you don't ask for my advice, (laughs) you're going to get, (laughs) I'm bad at that. You're going to get, some advice. So thinking of talking about giving back. Okay, so you give back in a big way, Chair Sebastian. Let's talk about why you give back. Why is it so important that you give back to Governor State University? Well, and I would reframe it as paying it forward, right? Uh I feel, I don't feel like I'm giving anything back. I feel that I'm doing my part to create opportunities for future me, right? For future Angie's, for future students who need to find a way to navigate their life differently. I do believe that education breaks the cycle of poverty. I think it is the one thing that does. And where we're located, we are surrounded by poverty. It can be a beacon of hope, getting back to the reach out strategy again, right? Do people even know it exists? Do people even think it's for them? Are there pathways? But that's, that's why I do it, because I believe in the power of education to transform lives and trajectories. And so I am the first to have a college degree, but my sister has a master's in nursing. My, these are my younger siblings. My brother is a lawyer. My younger brother is a healthcare professional. Like I was the first one in my family with a credit card, right? <laughs> and so I became the advisor for these people. People can change their trajectory if there's a path that they can see or that they can envision. That's why I do it. I believe in that. And then I also expect that when people do, they help others. People can change their trajectory if there's a path that they can see or that they can envision. 
That's why I do it. I believe in that. And then I also expect that when people do, they help others, you know, share, share your story, share your wisdom, your experience, your lessons learned, your failures. Let people know when it was hard, right? It affords people a chance to then be human themselves. <laughs> yeah. I may have two questions. I'm not sure if your answer will be and uh, will be different depending on how I ask it. You serve on the Governor State University Board of Trustees. So Chair Sebastian, what is your hope for Governor State University? But my second question is, Angie, what is your hope for Governor State University? So are those two different questions or one in the same? I think they'd be the same, actually. I'm kind of the same person, no matter where I am or what I'm doing. And my hope for Governor State is that it's the catalyst for the change that we need in these South suburban communities. This whole region has been neglected economically for decades, probably since I was born, when there was the, it's called the white flight, except for my family didn't flee because we couldn't afford to, right? And so this whole corridor is neglected. And there are generations of people who don't see a pathway out. And yet we are strategically located in an industrial and a commuter segment. And there are communities with people who just, you know, maybe it's going to take a generation or two for hope to kind of come back into the formula. But I believe in the resilience factor of, of people. And I think the governor's state can be the catalyst for the change that could happen. That may sound overly optimistic and eager, and it's a big challenge. And the biggest challenges are the ones that need to be taken on, right? So mm -hmm. that's, that's what I would hope for the university. And I'm trying to do my one little piece of that. But that, that requires the force of an institution and the people in it to really embrace that vision. So Absolutely. that would be mine. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this yeah. is, I mean, we could talk for so much longer about I know we could talk coaching about coaching and first gen. We could spend an entire conversation talking about first gen and the challenges that come along with that. And how do you support yourself? How do you advocate for yourself so that you can get through those experiences? And how, as employees of a university, how we can help our students. Yeah, I could talk about it forever also, right? Um, but really, we can't just talk about it. We have to do stuff. We have right. to put our words to action. We have to start where we are. It's great to have goals and dreams and vision, and we need that so we know where we're heading. And we just need to start walking, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm sure you know, you both know that my philosophy and my motto is to lead where you are. Yeah. It's a very action oriented statement, right? Let's do something, take the first step. Let's see where we're heading and figure out what can we do to, you know, take one step toward there. 
And I'm glad you said that, you know, I have something on my to-do list, you know, Mm -hmm. Amy and I talk about all the resources that we have at GSU and the people that are serving the students, those that are closest to the students may not even know what those resources are. Mm -hmm. So that's one part where, you know, it's on my to-do list of how can we lead where we are? How can we do better with what we have? How can we get that message out to students so that they have it right in front of them? It's been good for me, Angie. Uh I'm so glad. I'm so glad. (laughs) Thank you both for the work that you're doing and leading where you are and bringing these stories out. So you never know what one kernel of one person's story, how it will influence how someone is approaching their path. And so thank you. And I take it to heart that Governor State University has a mission to be a public square. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just, a, this is our little kernel, our little teeny tiny step forward, hopefully. Right. So, and we are so fortunate to have our chair of the board as an alum, someone is so passionate and supportive of Governor State University. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Leading with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. Visit our website at govst.edu slash teaching and leading podcast to see the show notes from this episode. We appreciate Governor State University's work behind the scenes to make publishing possible. Stay tuned for more episodes with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.